We've been in a series of messages I've called Moses, the man of God. We're going to be continuing that today in a message I call Seeing the Invisible. And you'll see why as we look in our text. Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I want to add to that the comments from the writer of the book of Hebrews under inspiration by Hebrews eleven twenty seven, when he said, By faith he forsook Egypt, that's Moses, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Seeing the invisible. You say, Brother Rich, that's a contradiction. I know, I know. And yet, uh, it's right there in the scripture. We'll begin our consideration today of the famous passages about the plagues that God brought upon Egypt. So when the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that he endured as seeing the one who was invisible, Moses, you see, was indeed living out what God promised him. Now you'll see. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. We understand how significant that is because the Bible says repeatedly we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. But there are times when God shows himself in unmistakable ways. I've always felt like it was a little bit irreverent when somebody said, well, God showed up. You know, God is omnipresent, so it's impossible for God to show up, you know. He's everywhere, all the time. And so, theoretically, theologically speaking, he can't show up, but... There are times when God shows himself in an unmistakable way. And when he does, that leaves people without excuse. There's no excuse. That's a significant thing to remember because Paul told us in Romans chapter 1 that the invisible things of God are clearly seen. Another time when that contradiction shows up. The invisible things of God are are clearly seen. And then he identifies for us exactly what invisible things he was thinking about. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So the invisible things are clearly seen. His eternal power and Godhead being understood by the things that are made. And what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 is the existence of the creation. All we have to do is open our eyes and look around. All we have to do is look at that person sitting next to us, look in the face of our children, look in the mirror, and we will see the handprints of God everywhere we look. The creation is constantly giving out the message of God's eternal power And his Godhead. That speaks to the fact that he is a personal God. Not just some power. Not just some nameless force. But he is a person. His Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
And he would go on in Romans chapter 1 to warn us about what happens when people, instead of serving the God then of creation, turn from that and serve the creation, worship the creation more than the creator. And by the way, that's exactly what had happened in ancient Egypt. You see, the same creation that is shouting out the reality of God's existence today in 2023 was still shouting out the existence of God in ancient Egypt. They knew about it. They were able to study about it. And we still marvel about the knowledge of the ancient Egyptians. They had incredible scientific knowledge. We know that. We can see some of the things they did without machinery. It's amazing. And yet they were pantheistic. Pharaoh himself considered himself to be a deity and the people worshipped him as such. The ultimate result then of pantheism is that men begin to worship themselves as God. They consider themselves to be autonomous. They tend toward anarchy in such situations. And whoever's the strongest gets to make the rules. That's the way humanity goes when they turn away from the truth of God. And it's all given to us there in Romans chapter 1. We won't spend a lot of time there today. But instead we'll consider the plagues. We need to set them in their historical context. And I understand many of you have been studying these all your life and you can probably recite them by memory. That's fine. But let's be respectful of those who perhaps have never heard this story before. They might have some kind of idea that God brought the plagues on Egypt, but they really don't know. Maybe they studied them as a child. How many of you remember everything you studied as a child? Okay. Uh, none of us do. Maybe. Unless you keep it up, uh, you kind of lose it. I, I once knew algebra. I made straight A's. But by the time my kids took it in high school, I couldn't help them a bit. I was helpless. It all looked different. You don't use something, it goes away. Maybe you just don't know. Maybe you've known at one time, don't remember. Let's be respectful of that. So we'll go through them. We're going to look at most of them today. And I'm trying to do this without being what a good friend of mine called a Pharaoh preacher who won't let my people go. I'm not... I'm not <laughs> So my goal today is to do this fast enough so that y'all aren't out there saying, come on, Pharaoh, let us go. No, we're, we're going to try to get past that. Historically, Moses and Aaron would appear before Pharaoh again and again and again. We know that. We know that time after time, God would move in judgment. Time and time again, Pharaoh would harden his heart. Time and time again, the Bible says that God would harden Pharaoh's heart even more. We saw how that Moses went to Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh before, how that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, how he responded so insolently and pridefully to God's message to him, and then responded with fury and even murder in his heart toward the people of God as he set out to work them to death, literally, work them to death. But still in our text, we see God giving one more opportunity that's recorded in Exodus chapter 7 and verse 8. If you want to look at it later, it's the time that God sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh with the miracle to cast down the rod of God. And Aaron did that, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh turned to his sorcerers, his magicians. And guess what? They did the same thing. It's a good time to remind you, folk, the devil 
can work miracles too. He did. Now, if you're familiar with the story, if you remember the story, you'll, you'll know that though the magicians were able to cast down their rods and, and they became serpents, but it was Aaron's rod then, the rod of God, that swallowed up all those snakes. That always makes me think it must have been a king snake. Just a little sideline today. If you can help yourself, let king snakes alone, okay? Let them live. They're good. They kill other snakes. Whatever it was, we don't know. But uh, we do know that his rod, uh, the, the snake that came from Aaron's rod uh, swallowed up all the rest of them. And we also know that Pharaoh was unimpressed by this miracle. And so the plagues began. There are four major outbreaks of miracles spoken of in Scripture. The first one is this one, the time of Moses and Aaron and Joshua going into the promised land. There was one with Elijah then and Elisha, his successor. There was one in the days of Jesus and the apostles. And there is one yet to come. And that one great outbreak spoken of in Scripture of miracles that is yet to come, of course, is spoken of in the Revelation. Times when the invisible God becomes very visible. As he interacts in human activities in a way that can only be called miraculous. Miraculous. It should be observed this morning that Pharaoh did not repent. It should be observed that in the days of Elijah, Ahab and Jezebel did not repent. It should be observed that in the days of Jesus, the children of Israel, for the most part, did not repent. And in the coming Outbreak of miracles promised in the book of Revelation. The Bible says that people will call on rocks to fall on them. But they won't call on God. That's something to consider. So with this uh, historical and then the biblical setting, as we see it set in this overall setting, biblically, prophetically, uh, let's dive in. The first two were miracles or judgment that were duplicated. It began with the plague of blood. How did the sorcerers manage to duplicate these miracles of God? They did it by their enchantments. Uh, That's all that the Bible gives them. Exodus chapter 7 and verse 20, Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, that's the Nile, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Many historians have noted that Egypt was the Nile River. 
It carved out a niche of inhabitable, arable land in the midst of a desert. So it isn't surprising that God's judgment would begin there on the Nile itself. As he turned its water and in fact all surface water in the land to blood. For seven days there was no water to drink from the Nile. What does that mean? It meant from seven days there was no water to drink from the Nile. That's what it meant. Now, the the magicians duplicated this feat, and perhaps even more more of of note, more noteworthy, is the fact that the people were able to dig wells and get to water. Seven days without water would have been uh, nightmarish, really nightmarish. But they were able to dig in the ground and get water to drink. That was the plague of blood, and Pharaoh refused to repent. The second miracle that they could duplicate was the plague of frogs. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, Exodus 8, 5, said unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land. Now the fish had died. But the amphibious frogs had obviously survived. And the sheer number, though, of frogs that came out of the river has only one explanation. It was a miracle of God. It was supernatural. The magicians had some work to do with as well. They were able somehow to, by their enchantments, call frogs up uh, out of the river. How did they do it? By their enchantments. There were frogs everywhere. In their houses, in their food, in their ovens, in their beds. So Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron to take the frogs away. And Moses responded to him, Well, Pharaoh, when would you like me to ask the Lord to take these away from you? And Pharaoh said, amazingly, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> that gave rise to a very famous sermon that I've preached a dozen times or so called One More Night with the Frogs. He wanted one more night with the frog. Doesn't make any sense. It's what sin does to you. The frogs died. Most of them did. Were piled up in piles everywhere, filling the land with the awful odor of dead frogs. And again, again, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That was the end of the duplications from the magicians. After that, there were the judgments that they could not duplicate. Uh, Verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. I promise you, every time I've said that all week, my head started itching. (laughs) Can't help it. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice upon man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Don't miss that. The magicians said to Pharaoh, God did this. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. At this point, with the lies, the magicians were done. They were not able to duplicate anything else. 
Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He didn't listen to his own magicians any better than he listened to Moses and Aaron. So they got lies. Notice there's no mention that Pharaoh asked Moses to remove the lies. Maybe they had plenty of red. Or nicks or something. Ancient Egyptian versions. They knew a lot of stuff. They didn't ask to have the lice removed. Then came the flies. Verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else. I love the way that's worded. Let my people serve me or else. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen. First time that God says before Pharaoh that this will not happen on my people, just on your people. No swarm of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people tomorrow. This sign shall be. This plague of flies was unimaginably huge. Whatever kind they were, there were all kinds in Africa to choose from. The infamous noceums, the dog fly, the common house fly, so unnerving to us today. I hate flies. Anybody with me? I hate them. And they were everywhere. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron to get rid of the flies. He begins a negotiation with them. And they negotiated back and forth. We'll do this, do this, do this. He even got a warning from Moses. Now, don't lie to me again because over and over again, Moses, or Pharaoh had already lied to Moses, saying, okay, I'll let them go if you'll get rid of this stuff. And then they'd go away, and then Pharaoh would harden his heart and wouldn't do it. So Moses warned him, I'll get rid of the flies, but don't you lie to me again. Well, guess what? <laughs> yeah, he lied again. So here comes the fifth plague, the death of their livestock. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. That's a disease. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. All over the land of Egypt. Horses, donkeys, camel, oxen, and sheep died of some kind of disease. But not in the land of Goshen. The pastures were full of Contented livestock, just having a good time. Even as they lay dead all over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh sent an investigative team to the Hebrews. And sure enough, the cattle God mentioned were all just fine. But Pharaoh hardened his heart again. So then came the plague of boils. 
Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourself handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. It affected everybody, even the magicians. They couldn't even help themselves at this point. Boils. These are incredibly painful. They're usually caused by staff. We carry staff all the time, all the time on our skin. But for reasons, uh, for most part, mysterious to us, there are times when they go into our skin and they cause a boil. If you've ever had one, and most of us have, then I don't have to tell you how painful it is to have even one. They had them all over. It's awful, awful. Everybody in Egypt and their animals were covered in boils. Even their livestock. You say, well, I thought all the livestock died. No, not all of them. Uh, Goats weren't mentioned, for example. We know the Egyptians had pigs, although some of them and sometimes some periods of their history uh, were not uh, uh, very uh, conducive toward pigs. But we know they had them too. Their birds uh, did not fall in in the plague. The chickens But now they all had boils. Pharaoh, again, didn't even ask for relief. He didn't call for Moses and Aaron to get rid of the boils. Maybe they had plenty of that Egyptian penicillin. I don't don't know. I don't know. But they, he didn't even ask for the boils to go away. Then comes the plague of hail. Plague of hail is given one of the longest descriptions of all of the plagues. It's covered in Exodus 9, 13 through 33. Where God said to Moses, you get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Maybe they serve me for at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Notice what God said to him. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. What did God tell him? God said, I could have just as easily killed every one of you with a pestilence. Just like I killed all your cattle. I could have stretched out my hand on all the Egyptians. And all the Egyptians would have died. Is that a bone-chilling passage of scripture to us a little bit? We've had a little experience with pestilence. We still are. And that's a very sobering thing God said to Pharaoh. I, I could have stretched out on my hand on you and struck you all. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. That my name may be declared in all the earth. This is the plague of hail. Severe thunderstorms which were very unusual in Egypt. They would produce so, like we know well in Arkansas, heavy rain, dangerous wind, and lightning, and large hail. But this one carried as well an element of the supernatural. The hailstones were so big that they broke trees, all their fruit trees, their date palms. Everything was wiped out. Their crops were almost all completely ruined. Some were ready for harvest. Some were still in the bud so they could regrow. But for the most part... The hailstorm killed people, cattle, fruit trees, and almost all their crops. 
After a while of this, Pharaoh did call for Moses and Aaron. Verse 27, and he said, look at this, I have sinned this time. That's Pharaoh. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail. For it's enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. But this confession of his sin was not genuine. Pharaoh hardened his heart again as soon as the hail stopped. Next came the plague of locusts. Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts. God said that they may come upon the land of Egypt. God didn't send him back to Pharaoh that time. He said, just stretch out your rod over the land and the locusts will come and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind all that day and all that night and the locusts came. God would go on to tell them that this plague of locusts was so severe that it had never been seen before or since. And that says a lot. I'm not sure whether you all have followed it. It hasn't made it to the mainstream media much in the United States that I have seen. But Africa has been struggling with plagues of locusts uh, of an almost biblical proportion in 2019, 2020, 2021, and again last year in 2022. Uh, Kenya had the worst plague of locusts they'd had in 75 years, uh, which says a lot. We know a lot about these swarms of locusts, but there was nothing like this one. This one went again to the land of Egypt. The land of Goshen was spared. But the land of Egypt was wiped out. Nothing green remained. Then there's the last plague that we'll consider today. And that's the plague of darkness. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. I'm not going to spend time today speculating about what this darkness is. The Bible didn't explain it, so I won't either. What was it? It was a supernatural darkness that could be felt. I know it was supernatural because the Bible tells us that the people in Egypt could not see their hand in front of their face. The people in Egypt could not see their loved ones in the same room with them. They knew what candles were. They knew what lamps were. And they were working just fine down in Goshen. There was light in Goshen, the Bible tells us that. But in the land of Egypt, there was this thick darkness. And for days, they laid there and could not move. Moses would again be called, summoned to stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh would negotiate some more. But at the end of this, we get this ominous passage. Verse 27. Exodus 10, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. 
Pharaoh signed his own death warrant. Eternally. No more. Moses said. You got it. Well, what do we do with all this? It's hard to find a lot of good news in this passage today. It's not. But there are some good lessons that we need to heed. And those of you watching from home do as well. And the first one that is shown so prominently and so obviously to all of us today of a great lesson, and that is when God sets out to move in judgment, it is catastrophic. And recognizable. Second thing we see. We must never underestimate the capacity of humanity. To ignore or explain away God's judgments when they happen. You might think. Well you know if God had showed me a miracle. I'd believe. No. You probably wouldn't. I can say that on the authority of God's word because in Luke chapter 16, Jesus told the story of a man in hell pleading that Lazarus, a beggar who had died, would be raised back to life and sent back to his brother. Quite a miracle raising somebody from the dead. And yet the word of God says they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't hear them, They won't hear somebody who rises from the dead. And by the way, they did see somebody rise from the dead. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. And guess what? Yes, they still didn't believe. Oh, if I had some miracle, some amazing manifestation of God and His power, I'd believe. No, you'd probably explain it away. Makes me wonder... How many plagues would God have to send to America before America would admit that we're under the judgment of God? Maybe a drought. Maybe wildfires burning up millions of acres. Economic collapse, perhaps. A pestilence, maybe. Surely that would get our attention. Maybe our food supply going away. Couldn't buy food. Toilet paper, that would get us. (laughs) How many plagues would it take? I listened to two great sermons this week. One by David Jeremiah and one uh, by Dr. John MacArthur. And both of those sermons were preached in the last year. And they both made the same point. That America is already experiencing the judgment of God. And we are. We are. MacArthur was particularly astute because he talked about that God's judgment against sin is defined in Romans chapter 1 where God would send him a reprobate mind. And reprobate doesn't just mean perverted. Reprobate means inoperative. God would send upon it's a plague of abandonment. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. A plague of abandonment. People lose their ability to think rationally. That's all over America today. 
God still moves in judgment against nations who reject Him. And there's more to come. Let's learn from this passage today that God isn't open for negotiation. But He is open to true repentance. God is not willing, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11 in the Old Testament, great passage, said, God said, as I live, saith the Lord God. Uh, that is one of those times when God swore upon himself because he could swear by none greater. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 33 and 11. 400 years before this, God had sent a messenger to Egypt in chains. His name was Joseph. Joseph interpreted a couple of dreams. That's all he did. Just interpreted some dreams. But Egypt listened to the word of the Lord. And Egypt prospered. They became a haven for Israel, but also a haven for all the world. They had food in such abundance that they could feed the world. They became a superpower. They had the economy that was greater than all. The opulence and wealth of Egypt is unimaginable. Because they listened to Joseph, God's messenger to them. Then they forgot who Joseph was. They forgot who Joseph's God was. 400 years later, God sends them another messenger and they don't listen. And now Egypt is a wasteland. My, how the tables have turned. Once Israel went to Egypt for food, now we could see the Egyptians begging the people of Israel for food. So all theirs was gone. Next week, with God's help, if God permits, we'll consider this last plague, the tenth one. And I know what I'm going to call it already. Uh, with apologies for the bar in the title from a very popular book from the 1950s, I'm going to call it A Night to Remember. A Night to Remember. And the last plague, the one that had Pharaoh doing what God had said he'd do, saying, get out. Take these people and go. I hope this morning that we can consider these passages and learn from them. Maybe you're one of those right now who's resisting God. Oh, what a perilous thing that is to do. But if you'll repent and believe the gospel, you can be saved and become a part of the people of God. Let's stand together, please.